My next guest is one of the best at his craft. He's an award-winning sports writer. He writes for the Houston Chronicle and appears on Sports Radio 610. Please welcome Pro Football Hall of Fame sports writer John McClain. John, how's it going? It's going great, Rodolfo. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. Everything's good. Hey, I want to thank you for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. So, hey, let's jump right into it. What do you do? Well, let's see. Since 1976, I've worked as a sports writer for the Houston Chronicle. Since 1977, I've covered pro football, starting with the Houston Oilers for 20 years. Then they moved to Nashville. And for eight years, I had the greatest job in the country. I went wherever I wanted. I wrote whatever I wanted. I spent whatever I wanted. And I went to nothing but good games and great cities. And I didn't cover the Houston Texans originally because I didn't want to cover a loser. So I started covering them in 2005 when the boss said, we need you to come in off the road and do it for one year. And then you can go back to covering the NFL. And I said, okay. And then the bottom kind of fell out of the newspaper business and the Internet came. And so they said, we need you to cover the Texans. I said, okay. So I've covered the Texans and the NFL ever since. So I'm in my 45th year at the Chronicle and my 44th year covering the NFL. And I also do sports talk shows on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. I'm on twice a week in Nashville and Waco, my hometown. And I'm on once a week in Knoxville, San Antonio, and Austin. Wow. Wow. 45 years. And now you're award-winning a sports writer. You're in a Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're a gridiron legend. You're in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame as well. And you're also made it to Hollywood. You've been in, I believe it's like eight movies, I believe. So just had an amazing career. Let's, Let's kind of dig into how this all started. How'd you get into this business? And did you always dream about being a sports writer? No, I grew up in Waco. <laughs> I was a diehard sports fan from the time I was a kid. In 1960, when I was eight years old, I fell in love with baseball because I watched All-Star Game with Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Mickey Mantle and all these guys that were putting on such a show. I was fascinated, so I fell in love with baseball. That's the first year of the Cowboys and the Oilers. And the Cowboys were terrible, and they were on CBS, and the Oilers were in the American Football League, and they were on NBC. And they threw the ball all over the place. And as a kid, I loved watching teams throw passes, and the Oilers won a championship. And it wasn't, so I started off as an Oilers fan because they won the first two AFL championships, but then the Cowboys got good. I was in Cowboy country. I thought Tom Landry was God. And when I was, when I was a teenager, I dreamed of playing quarterback for the Cowboys or center field for the Astros. And we were really poor growing up in Waco. And my dad would bring my mom and my brother to Houston once a year, uh, to go see the Astros from the first season in 1962, uh, till I moved down here and I became a diehard Astros fan and, and so I never thought about being in the media business, Rodolfo. I had no idea what I wanted to do through high school. And I couldn't get in Baylor. My grades were not good enough. And I used to sneak into games at Baylor Stadium to watch the football team. And then I would sneak in the old heart of Texas Coliseum to watch the basketball team. So I was Baylor, Cowboys, and Astros. And then I started to get a little big. And I read the Waco paper, Dave Campbell, legendary sports editor, founded Texas Football Magazine in 1960 and is an icon of Texas journalism. And I'd always read his stories. And then in 1971, when I graduated, the smartest thing I ever did was all my friends went to Baylor. And I checked to see what were the hard classes at Baylor that I could take at the local junior college, McLennan College, that would transfer. 
And there were quite a few. And I happened to ask a friend, I need easy classes because I was a terrible student. Didn't care about grades at all. My mother used to say, how can you do your homework at night and go to school, but you don't remember anything. <laughs> but if you read an article in Sports Illustrated or the Sporting News or Sport Magazine, you remember every word. And I said, I don't know why school's boring and sports are exciting. And so I took an introduction to mass communications as a freshman at McLennan College because people said it was big. There were a lot of students I will never get called on. And I happened to be sitting next to a guy and we talked football and three in the third class, Rodolfo, he says to me, you seem to know a lot about football. I said, I know more about football than anybody in Waco. Mm. And he said, well, I'm a photographer at the Waco Tribune Herald. And we had a guy back out of working Friday night football. Would you be interested? I said, what is that? He said, if we hire people to come down there on Friday night and correspondents at all the stadiums in Waco and Central Texas will call in. You will answer a phone. You will fill out a form in which they'll give you scores, rushing yards, passing. And I said, how much does it pay? He said, $25 for four hours. And I said, wow, that's a lot of money. So I did it. And while I was doing that in 19, that would have been the 71 football season. Mm -hmm. I would stay late and talk to the sports writers and the sports department when they came in from covering games and wrote their stories. And when I, I filled out those forms, I'd take it and give them to the writers. So I would hang out with them, get to know them. And uh, so two years later, when I was a freshman, a junior going into Baylor, I got hired full-time by Dave Campbell to wake up Tribune Herald. Stayed there three and a half years and got my degree in 75 and uh, came to the Chronicle in 76 to cover hockey with the original Houston Arrows. You being from New York, I'm guessing you know about hockey and you're a hockey fan. I didn't know squat about hockey. Uh, There was no internet back then. If you wanted to learn something, you went to the library. I did a crash course and I came down here. And three days after I got here, I was traveling across Canada and the United States covering the arrows with Gordy Howe and his sons, Mark and Marty Howe. And it was an experience I would never trade. Learning hockey from Gordy Howe be like learning the Bible from Jesus. Mm. Wow. So so now you you started the Waco Tribune Herald. Now, now getting into hockey first, that, that's interesting. So how does that work when you're when you're writing, your love is, is football, your love is baseball, and, and I know you, you did the research, you learned as much as you could about hockey and arrows, but how how is it writing about something that you're not as passionate about? It was hard. Mm. First, first game, I had one game here before I'd take off on that road trip, and I had their PR guy at the time, the late Rich Burke, who had been a sports writer at the Houston Post. He, need, he I knew Rich. And I told him, I need help. And he stood behind me the whole time trying to explain the rules. And shots on goal, blue line, uh, offsides. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I was 20, let's see, I was 23, same age as a lot of the players. The Chronicle covered every road game. And the players were very sympathetic because I was enthusiastic about hockey. And I came to love the game. Mm-hmm. And my wife, Carol, grew up with season tickets to the Washington Capitals and later the New York Islanders. So she was a hockey nut, and we still go to some hockey games like at the Super Bowls in a hockey city or we're covering a Texans game and the night before the game at Madison Square Garden. We'll go see the Rangers like we did two years ago. And I learned it, but by the time I – and they actually gave me some skates, and I would go out and skate around – and when I finally got to where I could stop without running into the boards, the team folded. And, and in 1977, the boss said, I want you to go to Oilers first week to the Oilers training camp. They're only year in Nacogdoches at Stephen F. Austin. And at that time, there were six preseason games. Training camp was eight weeks long. And I went there. And the first person I met in the old dormitory at night was the defensive line coach named Wade Phillips. Mm. 
Mm. Oh, wow. So, that, so that's interesting. So you meet Wade Phillips back then, and then you're covering the Texans, I mean the Oilers, but then, and then you said there's an eight year period where you're going, you're just covering football in general and, and NFL in general and going all over. Are you sparking friendships with a lot of players and coaches doing this? And if so, are you still, are you still friends with a lot of these people that have retired? It's interesting you say that because you're not supposed to become friends with people you cover because you're going to have to be critical of them. You're going to have to write stuff they don't like. And at the time, I was not friends with the Oilers. And while I liked and respected the heck out of Bum Phillips, never went to dinner with him. But I'll tell you something that's interesting. Now, the Oilers are long gone uh, from Houston to Nashville. And there's a lot of those Oilers that I've gotten to know a lot. I'm friends with a lot of them. Mm. I do charity events with them. I see them. We stay up on each other. And the rules back then, Rodolfo, were this. I could go to the Oilers facility during the day, and I could interview them at lunch. I could hang around in their dressing room while they were at meetings. I could go to practice and watch all the practice. I could come in after practice and interview them or talk to them. Again, I could talk to coaches whenever I wanted. So you got to know them. You got to know about their families. Their alma mater. Yeah. And if they didn't want to talk to you, they'd say, hey, I got to go to the weight room or take a shower or go home. And so I got to know a lot of them. And like when I go to Nashville, always Eddie George will come up to me. Al Smith, those guys that played here, Eddie one year, Al 10 years. And they'll come up and we'll talk. And it's almost always so much fun. I was at a fundraiser last year with Earl Campbell and Robert Brazil and uh, Curly Culp and Elvin Bethay, Dan Pastorini. So I am friends with those guys now. And the problem, I'm not going to be friends with Texans because the rules have changed. The media is a necessary evil. And we become less and less important every year as teams rely more on their websites who put out information that they want put out, and the national media, ESPN, NFL Network, they they tolerate local media. The rules are this, 45 minutes a day, we're supposed to be able to go into the locker room, but sometimes players won't be in there, and I can't go up to a player like Andre Johnson and BS with him during that period because a whole horde of young reporters will come up and stick microphones in his place. You can't have conversations with them anymore. And assistant coaches can't talk to the media except a league mandated three times a year. So you can't get to know them. And it, and I, I really regret it because there's a lot of really good guys. I would say the two ex players that I know the best are Andy Kalu, who used to do a talk show with uh, sports radio 610 where I am. Now he does one on. 7.90 a.m., and Eric Winston, former offensive tackle, who just his time was up as president of the union, but Eric has moved to the Washington, D.C. area. So I regret the fact that later in my life, and I'm not going to be able to get to know and have a kind of relationship with the Texans that I have with the Oilers. Yeah. Yeah, and that is sad, and it's, uh, it's also interesting. You talk about how these rules and these things have changed over the years, but you have stayed on, on top of the game for so long, for 45 years. So how how have you been able to transition and change along with everything that's changed in the industry? When the Internet was created, we had no idea what it was. I remember at the Chronicle, they said, well, we've got an Internet, new Internet department. I said, what's that? And they tried to explain it to me. And each department had to give our website one or two people. And I remember going to the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake. The boss called me and said, nobody, we had eight people there and none of them wanted to cover hockey. And they said, would you like to go and just cover hockey? I said, hell yeah. And my wife loved it too. So we went and they told me every night after you filed, your story for the Chronicle, we need you to write another one and send it to the the uh, sports editor of our website. I said, who's that? Said a guy named Joe Conway. And Joe and I became really good 
in France, and uh, and he died a few years ago, and it was a serious blow because he was a tremendous guy. So I learned early on, Rodolfo, I didn't want to be an old dog. You couldn't teach new tricks. Mm. So many of my friends who've been around a while said, I'm not writing for some confounded website. I'm just a columnist. I'm writing for the paper. And they got laid off. So I started doing videos. I started doing Q&A columns. I write extra for the website. And now just about everything I do is on our sports website, which is texasportsnation.com. And in the Chronicle, I don't have anything anymore that runs on Chron.com, our free site. And so I decided I had to adjust. And I did. Fortunately, I'm still around and going strong. That's great. So you adjusted, you adapted to to the change along the way, and you, it seems like you've just been very proactive as well. That's awesome. You have to be. You yeah. have to. You basically, you adjust or your career dies. <laughs> All right. And so now, in general, what goes into your preparation before writing articles? And also, how much are you writing or how many articles are you writing, I guess, each week? Let me let me go back to the way it used to be pre-internet. Okay, yeah. And uh, we wrote for the paper. So I might write my, I go spend a day at the Oilers, go home and eat something and then sit down, transcribe tape and write, get my stuff in like seven o'clock. Mm. Feature story, notes, any news, and it would come out the next day in a chronicle. And now because of com our website, Texas Sports Nation, our sports website, it's a tw- and because of Twitter and Instagram, it's a 24-7 process. I had to give up golf. I can't play golf with my phone on, and somebody's in a backswing, and all of a sudden it goes off because you have to be ready. It used to be write it or read it. Now it's tweeted or read it. And so you're still trying to get information, and you're in competition with not only other media outlets in Houston, but all the national people at all the websites, Adam Schefter at ESPN, Ian Rappaport at the NFL Network, plus many reporters at those two entities and all the other websites. They're all trying to scoop you. Agents would rather give national media stories. A lot of teams would rather give national media stories. And I'm not sure why, because I tell them the local media our coverage helps you get sponsorships, sell suites, sell tickets. Those guys don't help you do anything that at all, but that's the way it is. So today I write every day. I do all my regular talk shows. I do try not to turn down anybody. You're my second podcast today. I've got another one tomorrow. I'm doing, oh. I've done actually you're my third podcast. <laughs> I do two every Tuesday for the Chronicles website. And I do all my radio shows, and I write something every day. I tweet and retweet constantly. I have was it a hundred, almost 145,000 followers, and then because I retweet so much negative stuff on Donald Trump, I've lost about 4,000. But that's not going to keep me from doing it. And um, so I get up in the morning. First thing I do is go through see if I've been beaten on anything. I must look at Pro Football Talk ten times a day. And I'm constantly looking through Twitter to see what's out there. I write columns. Sometimes I write news. I do podcasts, Facebook Live. And I try to promote the Chronicle. And because I've got uh, 141,000 Twitter followers, it gives me a good avenue to do that. And uh, I'm happy to do it because I feel like that's part of my job. Chronicle's been great to me. I'm the oldest writer there and probably the oldest person in editorial. I know I've been there longer than anybody else, and I don't want to get put out to pasture. So uh, my plans are, my wife tells me every time she buys something new, I'm going to have to work another year. <laughs> I may work till I'm 80. Nice. I like that. <laughs> now, w- with all that, all, all the stories and, and the uh, podcasts and the radio shows and everything that you do, what are the uh, what are your favorite type of stories to cover? Anything that requires an opinion, but something that really bothers me about journalism today is there's so much bad information out there. There's so many people who have no ethics who will steal stuff and claim 
it's theirs or will not give credit to where credit is due. I just can't see how they can sleep at night. I never do that. If I get beat on a story by somebody, I tweet it, give them credit, and then write my opinion. I like to cover the Texans. I like when they win because it gets the gets the Chronicle gets more. I get more followers. The Chronicle gets more clicks. But when they lose a game, like their season ended last year, choking a 24 to zero lead at Kansas City, I knew people were going to be angry. After after a game, I do a report card. It gets more hits than anything I do. People want me to get it up there so they can agree or disagree. And another thing I like to do every day, five days a week during football season, I do five takeaways on the Texans. That can be notes, can be opinion, can be quotes, can be whatever I want. And that gets a lot of clicks. So I like doing that as well. But I got to tell you, Adolfo, first time I did a sports talk show in 1976 mm-hmm. on a road at a hockey game, and I thought, boy, talking for money is like stealing. Right. And so I did a lot of radio until 1985 when I got my first weekly show. So I've been doing weekly gigs in Houston since 85. And when I walked out of KTRH, I felt like I should have been pressed. Getting paid to talk about sports, which I'm doing anyway, all day, every day, it's, it just feels like stealing. Yeah, it definitely does seem like a job that most, just people in general would want, but you've uh, perfected it, so that's uh, great for you. Now, I've had doctors, lawyers, investment bankers, Hollywood directors, screenwriters, all these people that love sports say, man, would I trade jobs with you in a heartbeat? And I say, well, you trade salaries. <laughs> uh, no. Funny. <laughs> now, yeah, talking about uh, Hollywood. So, like I mentioned earlier, you you've been in eight movies. It was it eight? Is that correct? I believe you're right. Eight okay. or nine. I quit counting. The last one I did was like ten years ago, and my agent is awful. That's because <laughs> me. And uh, I had a producer that had put me in a couple movies, saying, you know, if you lose some weight. I could find more parts for you. So obviously I didn't want to pursue a movie career. And and I'll tell you an interesting story. Two years ago, I fell and blew out my shoulder Mm. and had to get my left shoulder and my humerus bone down in my elbow replaced. And when I got out of the hospital and I came home, I had to sit up, sleep up, wear this contraption that caused me all kinds of problems. I was in agony. And so I'm at home and my cell rings. And it's next to me on my right side because I can't do squat on the left. It's 310 Eric Coat. And I don't have the name, but I know 310 is L.A. So I figure, hell, I got nothing else to do. So I answered it. And a guy goes, this John McClain. I said, yes, it is. He said, my name is so-and-so, and I'm from Lake Jackson. I said, hey, great. I love Lake Jackson. He said, well, I'm an agent in Hollywood, have my own company, have been for years. And last night, my wife and I are, Lying in bed, she's reading, and I always flip around to movies to see if I see any young people that I want to re- that I want to represent. And I hear a voice that I grew up listening to on the radio, and I look in the credits, and it's you. I said, "Yeah." I said, "I'm guessing that was Spring Breakers." He goes, "Yeah." So he asked me uh, how I was in Spring Breakers, and he'd look me up on IMDb, which I don't keep, and I don't know who does. And it's not up to date. But he said, could you fly out here tomorrow and be on an episode of The Young and the Restless? And I said, Albert, I said, there's only one soap opera that I know. And I don't watch it, but I know it. The Young and the Restless. I would love to come and be in it so I could tell all my friends I'm in The Young and the Restless. But I had this little problem. And I explained it to him. And he said, do you have an agent? And I said, myself. He said, can you send me headshots? I said, look on our website. And he said, could I represent you? He said, yes. And I haven't heard from him since. But I thought it would have been very cool to be on the Young and Restless and say, well, actually, it's pretty cool saying Spring Breakers was my last yeah. movie with James Franco and Selena Gomez. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> it's all cool. And you were weren't you in the game plan with the rock, right? I'm in a game plan, the longest yep. yard, advanceable. Yep. The first one was the rookie. Yep. Uh with Dennis Quaid and and uh I love movies. I'm a movie nut. People ask me, Well, if you hadn't done what you did, what would you think you'd be doing? I said I'd probably be a producer in Hollywood making movies because <laughs> I love I love the process of movies. When I've been on movie sets, I've been fascinated. They are bored to death. <laughs> How can you be so excited when this is so boring? I said, well, because usually I spend all my time sitting around a dressing room waiting for a bunch of naked guys to come out of the shower. <laughs> and they go, man, that would be so exciting. <laughs> so, okay, so you start off at uh, Waco Tribune Herald. Back then, did you ever think any of this would be possible? Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Dick McCain Memorial Award, Texas Sports Hall of Fame, the movies, all this. Well, absolutely not. At the time, I thought, well, am I going to spend the rest of my life working in Waco when most of the people left to go to Houston or Dallas? And when I got my degree in the summer of 75, and I talked to a guy to Houston Post, and he said he didn't want any more small-town writers at the Post, the sports editor. So every time I kicked their butt on a story, I was twice as excited because he would know that small town guy just kicked his butt. <laughs> and uh, I thought because I was a big Cowboys fan back then that, that I might someday be able to go to the Dallas Morning News, Dallas Times, Herald, Fort Worth Star-Telegram and maybe cover the Cowboys. And as it was, I had a good friend, Tony Peterson, who got me hired in Waco and got me, he was, became sports editor, managing editor, editor, and he put at the Chronicle and he got me hired here and put me on the Oilers. Now he's the head of communications at SMU. And so when I came here to cover hockey, that was my goal. I thought, well, I'll be doing this a few years. The guy covering the Oilers had been on the beat for 14 years and he's not going anywhere. And then the way it all broke, it just it broke the right way. I got to cover the Love You Blue Oilers. They won. It was a lot of work. I loved doing it. It was a privilege to cover the Love You Blue Oilers and what I call the run and shoot Oilers with Warren Moon and Drew Hill and Haywood Jeffries and Mike Munchak and Bruce Matthews, the only team in the league to make the playoffs seven years in a row, but they couldn't get over the divisional round hump, the second round, just like the Texans. And I've never really considered it a job. I tell people the last time I really had a job was when I was at McLennan Junior College selling men's clothes at night at Goldstein McGill's department store. That's the last time I actually worked. That's great. So so now with, even though you don't call it work, what you do now, what what skills or characteristics do you think are needed to be successful in your field of work? That's a great question, Ralph. Well, I, I, uh, when I was at McLennan College and at Kurt Wallace who was the photographer who invited me to work Friday night football. I couldn't type. I couldn't do anything. I didn't take any notes. When I was in high school, I was supposed to take notes. I didn't. That's one reason I had to spend an extra year to get out of high school. And so I liked doing that. So I went back and took typing, shorthand. But today, and I love talking to college students. I just got an invitation to talk to a reporting class at SMU. I love to be able to talk, not to high school kids. They want to know how much money you make. They're not ready to get out in the real world, but kids in college. I've, I've done multiple times at Baylor, A&M, Texas, U of H, uh, Sam Houston. I love doing that. was even invited one time to speak at University of South Florida, and I love helping students. And I try to tell them what it's like in the real world today about journalism how bad it is compared to when I was coming out of college or when I was already working at the Waco Tribune Herald. I've only had two jobs in my life. And most people I know have many more than two jobs. And so I, I tell them, if you're going to be a reporter, you got to report. You have to write, take English. My minor was English. Learn how to use a subject and a predicate. Get the AP style book. Learn it. Where to put a comma. Word usage. And read good writing. 
And I'm not talking about me. I'm not a great writer. I'm, I think I'm a good reporter and I know how to use quotes and I know how to get information and I like to listen and get people to elaborate. And I try to prepare for interviews. And there's some people they are great writers. And I tell them, uh, and practice your craft. You know, it's going to be like anything else. The more you do it, the better you're going to get. One of the things I tell them today, if you want to do multiple media like I do, uh, I suggest in college taking a drama class and a speech class where you get up in front of people and you have to talk. That makes it much more comfortable. I've had people so much say, don't you get, don't you get nervous going on ESPN or the NFL network? And the truth is, I don't. The last time I was really nervous was when I had to make a speech in 2006 at the Pro Football Hall of Fame at Canton, Ohio, when I was on the head table with all the Hall of Famers, and I had to get up and make a speech about getting the Dick McCann Memorial Award, which is for long and distinguished reporting on the NFL. And I knew I was getting a plaque in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Then I was nervous because I wanted to get in what I wanted to say, thank the right people, knowing everybody in there wanted me to get off the stage so we could start hearing from the Hall of Famers. Now, when you got that call that you were going to be awarded the Dick McCann um, Memorial Award, can you kind of paint us that picture? How did that feel? How did you feel at the time? Everything that you've done up to that time, you've, you've got this award. You're going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How did how'd you feel? There's three times in my life when I have been speechless. Number one, when I made the Little League All-Star team when I was 12 years old, my manager called me and said I'd made the Northwestern Little League All-Star team. And I got my drove in a ring run, got my name in a paper for the first time. And I thought life will never get better than this. <laughs> and so in 2004, the Super Bowl was in Houston. And I spent three months preparing to do things to help the media have a great time, all my friends. And I really did bust my butt with the help of a lot of people in Houston to take care of as many members of the media as possible. And they had a great time. So I was nominated for that award, which meant I was going to win it. And I told the Pro Football Writers of America, I said, I don't want to be nominated and win it because I help people go to the racetrack for free or play golf or tennis, uh, all those things. I said, I'd rather be in another year. So I withdrew. And I thought, man, oh, man, that might be my only chance. And then the next year I got it. And when they called me and told me that I would get it, and I'd been to the Hall of Fame a million times, and I knew what that meant. I was going to ride in the parade that 250,000 people come to during induction weekend in downtown Canton, a city of 100,000 counting the suburbs, and I was going to ride in a parade in the middle of all the Hall of Famers, guys I used to play like I was them in my backyard in Waco, guys that I idolized, and I was going to be thinking, I do not belong here. But I did it. I rode in a red Cadillac convertible with my wife, Carol, on the back with me and those people in Canton. They knew what a big deal it was. Is on the side of the card, John McClain, two. 2006 Dick McCann Memorial Award winner, and those people knew what it meant, and they treated me like royalty. And then the other time, Rodolfo, was last year, uh, 14, 16 years ago, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, I'm on their selection committee, like I'm the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection committee, and we didn't put media people in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame because our, our executive director, Dave Campbell, the legend wouldn't allow media people in there. He said, we don't make the news. We report the news. So we meet at the Hall of Fame in Waco every first Tuesday of every June to vote on our nominations for the next class. And then we vote by email. And so Dave had to go to a funeral and he told me, would I run the meeting for him? And I said, sure. So I told him, guys, let's change the bylaws and let's put a class in there. And we did. And that class was, we call it icons of Texas journalism. We're going to do it one time. People like Dave Campbell, Mickey Herskowitz from Houston, Kern Tips, the late great broadcaster, Vern Lundquist, 
Dan Jenkins, Blackie Sherrod from Dallas, uh, Frank Fallon, the voice of Baylor, Jack Dell, the voice of Texas Tech. So Dave Campbell came over after the funeral, saw what we were going to, we had done. He said, we're not going to do it. So it's too late. We already did it. And we changed the bylaws. <laughs> so we said we would never do that again. Two years ago, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame said, this is a chance. It's time we did another class. And I got a call. I was sitting on my patio from three friends of mine and said, well, we want to let you know you're in the second class of media in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. There's eight more. And all of them are from the Metroplex but you. And I thanked them, and I said, I'll call you back. And I went in, and I told my wife, I said, you're not going to believe this. She said, why? I said, I just found out I'm going to Texas Sports Hall of Fame. I said, that's bigger than the Pro Football Fame. She said, that's not bigger than Canton. I said, yes, it is. She said, well, well, why would you think that? I said, you're not from Texas. You wouldn't understand. (laughs) And I went out on my patio by myself, and I just started crying to make the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Now, we haven't actually been inducted because of the coronavirus. We were going to be inducted in May at AT&T Stadium, and now it's been pushed back to the next spring, and I'll be representing all of Texas other than the Metroplex. And as much as I love going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame growing up in Texas, I thought about my dad and how big the Southwest Conference was to him, and I wish that he and my mom would still be around and could see it. But anyway, that that's the third time that I've been speechless. Wow. Those are uh, great stories. I felt like I was right there with you. That That's awesome. You know, great accomplishments. Wow. Now, so can you tell me what you love about what you do? Well, first of all, I get, to, I get to write and talk about something I love. Mm-hmm. I know so many people who work nine-to-five jobs fight traffic, have to wear a suit every day, and they're miserable. I Let's see. Uh, I have had pants on one time in four and a half months, and it was warm-up <laughs> pants because I had to go to a little nicer restaurant. And when I go to the Texans, not games, but practice, because we're outside a lot of the times, I wear shorts and a T-shirt. Where can you go and wear shorts and a T-shirt to work? Right. And right now I can wear shorts and a T-shirt, whether I'm doing podcasts, Zoom, so I'm getting – to write and talk about something I'm passionate about, something I love and I want to do as long as I can breathe. And then I'm lucky enough to get in nine movies on the side. And I've met so many great people along the way. I've traveled all over the world, some of it at chronicle expense, which is even better. (laughs) And I've I've been blessed. It's a privilege. And uh, how could anybody not like a job that, that you love? Now, I could be paid more money, but you know what? I wouldn't be an attorney for 20 times what I make because I know too many attorneys who complain about their job all the time. Yeah. Now, now, what about the flip side? You mentioned things like others, other journalists stealing stuff, changes in the industry, national media dealing with that. So what type of challenges are, are there in your industry and for you and what keeps you up at night? What, when we used to have the newspapers, the Chronicle and the Post, every night I would go to bed with a knot in my stomach worrying if I was going to wake up the next day, would the Houston Post have a scoop on the Oilers and I don't have. And then I got to confirm it and react to it. And knock on wood, that didn't happen much. I was very fortunate. And now it's the same way. You You constantly worry about something happening on the Texans that somebody gets before you. It still makes me sick to my stomach, but I have to credit them. I'm not one of these people that steals or tries to act like I had something when I didn't because it's too easy to to trace on social media, but it still makes me sick to get beat on a story. And I'll give you an example. Albert Breer of uh, SI.com. Albert has a Monday column, Monday morning quarterback. Peter King used to have it. Peter now does Football America for NBC. Albert had a huge thing Monday morning with Bill O'Brien, a Texans coach, talking about all the changes at NRG Stadium and their practice facility because of COVID-19. And I'd been trying to get an interview for three weeks with O'Brien talking about the same thing. 
And so there's nothing I can do about it. You know, he gave the interview to Albert Breer, more power to Albert. But still, it, I can't tell you how much it bothers me. We're going to get Bill in a Zoom call on Thursday, and he'll talk to us about it. But it's already been on Albert Breer. And I don't think everybody who follows me or reads the Chronicle is reading Albert Breer, but it still bothered me. Bothers you. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I understand that. Now, now, as far as getting beat on, on stories, traditionally, I'm, I'm guessing there's, you have your story and then it gets edited. But now, like you said, with all the changes, you have Twitter where all these stories are coming out. How, so how is that trying to, you know, I'm guessing people are trying to beat others. And so there might not be a, as much editing and, you know, or um, you just, is it out, is it where people are just trying to get stories out as quick as they can on, on platforms like Twitter? Well, I think there are a lot of people, our stuff still gets edited, not on Twitter, Okay. but anything, anything on our website. It's in the Chronicle. Okay. It's, it's, we have copy editors looking at it, checking facts, checking numbers, names, and all that. And now online, it needs to get up fast, especially if it's, you know, it's, we got to get clicks. Right. And a click earlier in the day, you get it up. You want to have stuff there in the morning and at lunch because people are looking at the computer more when they come to work and then when they have lunch than they are during the day. So the idea is get it up as quick as quick as you can so it can be posted. And as far as Twitter, you know, ideally say, say you were a player and you were been traded from the Texans to the Cowboys and I found out about it. Usually I would tweet it immediately, tweet it or read it. So I'd get credit for getting it first. And then I would write a quick story for crime for the Texas sports nation.com. So it get posted and I'd retweet that. And then I might tweet some more. I might redo that story and keep updating it. And eventually I would write it and send it in to go in the Chronicle and the last version on uh, TexasSportsNation.com. And so that's something. So you're constantly doing stories, unlike the old day where you might just do one. Right. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier you talked about uh, preparing for interviews or preparing for uh, your articles. What can you talk a little bit about how how that goes well fortunately i've been doing this a long time and i constantly am keeping up with everything so i'm usually on top of it but if i'm doing a feature story where i want to not just know about the superficial but maybe delve into something mm -hmm. that's important maybe there's a coach who had cancer beat cancer then i'll make notes and because I, and I try to ask a lot of questions when we're in the media room at the Texans, I, because I'm the oldest and been around the longest, they usually let me ask the first questions. And then, and I ask, I may ask 10 questions of somebody problem with zoom. There's so many people on it because they don't have to drive or come over there. I might get to ask two and you hope that everybody else is asking the things you want. And the problem now, Everybody has the same quotes. All anybody's doing is Zoom. You can't sit down anymore. In the off season, I would do some telephone interviews with some Texans players where instead of talking to them for five minutes, I might talk to them for 15 or 20. And that was a lot of fun. I got to talk to them, talk to them about what they were doing in the quarantine, what they were doing. They've been on any trips and ask them about their families, things you don't usually get to do. But the Internet is at our fingertips, and there's no excuse for not being knowledgeable about anybody you write about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good point. Very good point. Now, your your most memorable moment, I'm guessing that is the one you got inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Well, I haven't, I've been voted in, but we haven't been in. Or voted in, sir. So I would say um, – I've had a lot of monumental moments in my career. A lot of them I've been at some of the greatest, at some of the greatest moments in NFL history. And, but I have to tell you, Rodolfo, standing in the Canton Civic Center with 7,000 people there in the stands and having tables all on the floor and then about five or six rows of Hall of Famers sitting up there with them and making a speech and Thanking my dad, who was blind back in Waco, couldn't be there, 
about uh, his interest in sports and helping me get to that point. You know, I, that, that that was just sitting right there in the middle of the Hall of Famers. I was on my left was Raymond Berry, great receiver for the Baltimore Colts, longtime NFL head coach. And on my right was Detroit Lions middle linebacker Joe Schmidt, and they both talked to my dad before the show, and uh, he was in heaven, and uh, and I appreciated that so much. Two guys that I used to watch when I was a kid on TV and then go out pretend like I was them in the backyard with my friends and then being right there with them, being honored. You know, it's just it's just an it's feeling that was hard to describe. Yeah. The euphoria, the the emotion, the reward for a lot of hard work I'd put in yeah. to get to that point and the appreciation for people voting me to get that far. So it's just a, it was a range of emotion. And I believe when I'm finally inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame at AT&T Stadium, that I'm probably, I know I'm going to feel the same way. Well, like you said, you got rewarded for all your hard work. You are the best of the best, and that's why you're there. And you definitely made the city of Houston feel like we, we know what's going on with the Texans, Back then, the Oilers, too, and I'm sure the same thing with the Arrows, with the uh, in Waco and everywhere you've stepped. So uh, you you definitely deserve everything you've gotten. Rodolfo, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say. I appreciate it. No, no problem at all. Just the truth. So we're at the uh, end of this interview, but, but uh, there's some uh, quick hitter questions for fun that I want to ask you. But before we do that, two things. So one, I want to find out if there's Anything additional you wanted to add or anything you think I might have uh, missed asking? Well, my I can be reached on my webs on our my Twitter account is McLean M C C L A I N underscore on underscore NFL. If anybody wants to follow me on Twitter. And uh, I just say I appreciate you having me on. It's been a lot of fun and uh, I really appreciate you letting me talk as much about myself my wife told me don't talk much about yourself i said i'll talk about what he asked me right <laughs> which is yourself so. so the other thing is my friends would not forgive me if i had you here and it didn't ask you a couple questions about the texans so i want to see if i can ask you just a couple questions about the uh, texans all right so the first is what's the team morale now with nuke being gone Nobody liked Hopkins being traded, but they brought in Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, David Johnson. They've got a lot of speed. They've got a lot of weapons. The key is, can they keep those guys healthy? What it's going to do, Watson has more speed than he's ever had. Texas is the only team in the league can put three receivers who are established, Will Fuller, uh, Kenny Stills, and Brandon Cooks, on the field at the same time, and they all ran into four threes at their combine. Two years ago, David Johnson had almost 1,400 yards rushing and receiving and 10 touchdowns. They would take that from him right now, rotating with Duke Johnson. They have their offensive line back intact for the first time since 2011. So they're fired up about it. Watson's going to get a contract for about four years. It's going to average $40 million a year. So they can be prolific on offense, Rodolfo, if they stay healthy and, of course, avoid testing positive for COVID-19. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you made me feel uh, positive about them. And, and just like you said, the, the major thing you said is staying healthy. I felt like Will Fuller was the X factor last year. When he was in the offense, that offense was unbelievable. But whenever we, he was hurt, I felt like you could see the, the drop off in it. Well, let me give you an example. There were 10 games in which he was healthy and they averaged 5.6 points more in the 10 games in which he was healthy and the six games he was not or he was held out for the last game against the Titans. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big discrepancy. Yep. It's the last year of his contract. To me, of all the unknowns, his health is the most important thing on this team. Yep, I agree. All right, and the, the other question is, what second- or third-year player uh, will make the biggest leap this year? The guy I look for that, that I look for really to take off is Charles Menehu. Charles was a rookie last year. He part-time. He had three and a half sacks and three sacks. This year, he's going to play inside along with uh, Ross Blacklock, their top pick, next to J.J. Watt. So if he's next to Watt, I look for him 
to double his sack total. And most players make their biggest impact in their second year because they know what it's like to be a pro. And I know for a fact he worked out really hard on his own in the offseason, kind of uh, redistributed his body for all muscle. And I look for Charles Amenehu to make an impact. We expect that from like Titus Howard, the right tackle who made the all-rookie team, even though he played only eight games. But for Amenehu, a fifth-round pick, I think he'll be a nice surprise. Nice. Hook him. So, and you think he's moving inside? Okay. Yeah, he'll That's play great. inside in passing situations, not in a three-man front because he's not a nose tackle. Right. He'll play, he'll play a four-three defensive tackle next black clock with Watt on the left, probably Jacob Martin on the right and Whitney Merciless standing up in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Nice. Thank you for that. All right. So let's go to these quick hitter questions. First question. What's your favorite sports team? Uh, Houston, Texas. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Houston Astros. Okay. Houston Astros. All right. I've been an Astros fan since the first pitch of their first game in 1962. Mm. All right. What's your favorite movie or show? Um, right now, my favorite TV show is Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. It mm. comes on Paramount. Network on Sunday nights. It's the third year, and I really like it. I also like the new Perry Mason on yes. HBO. And if I was on an island marooned and I could only watch one movie for the rest of time my life, I would have two possibilities. Number one, The First Godfather and Pulp Fiction. Mm. All right. I like them. And I, I like Perry Mason, too. I watched that as well. All right. Favorite musical artist or group? I grew up on the Beatles, and if I could have dinner with anybody in the world who was alive, it would be Paul McCartney because the Beatles shaped so much of my life. Mm. All right. And favorite vacation spot? I've been to Hawaii a bunch because I used to go to the Pro Bowl 12 years in a row. Talk about a dream assignment with the Chronicle picking up the tab. I loved Hong (laughs) Kong. I loved everything about Switzerland. Been at Hitler's retreat on top of a mountain in Germany, but I would say, I've been to Tokyo, I would say Beijing, Hong Kong, and anywhere in Hawaii. All right. And last, favorite food or drink? Oh, boy, I like Diet Dr. Pepper. If I'm <laughs> drinking wine, it's red, usually uh, Pinot Noir. If I drink beer, I like Corona with a lime, and and Mexican food is, is the bane of my existence, yeah. <laughs> and I wish that it had never been invented. I think a lot of people say that. All right. Well, hey, this has been great, John. I really appreciate you coming on here. Once again, can you say where people can reach you? Yes, McLean, M-C-C-L-A-I-N, underscore, on, underscore, NFL. Rodolfo, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.